This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. We're excited to talk today to amazing comics person Carrie Peach about how the process of making comics happens. How do you plan and schedule a graphic novel? We'll find that out. It'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carrie, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you started reading comics, and how you got from there to where you are in the comics industry today? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the footnotes version, you know, the, the yeah. cliff notes version is fine. It's a it's a big question. <laughs> it kind of is. And I uh, I took some time to think about it. And then I sat down in this chair and all of my thoughts went straight out of my head, which is why I have a lot of lists in my life. Um, I think I grew up reading a lot of comic strip comics. So a lot of Calvin and Hobbes and some Asterix and Tintin. Um, and I didn't start reading graphic novels and web comics until middle or high school. Um, so I, I kind of always grew up around comics, but what I really lacked was an understanding that these were things that were made by people as opposed to products that leapt like fully formed like Athena out of the ether's forehead, I guess. Like, like most products happen. Yeah. Oh, sure. Right. Nobody designs anything. Things just get made, um, which seems like such a naive and ignorant position to have. But that really was the case for me with most things, unless I knew somebody who worked in that field. Um, and I absolutely did not know anybody who was a professional cartoonist, let alone a a graphic novelist or someone who made longer form comics. I didn't know that making comics was a job that you could have. Um, So I went to school for the infinitely more practical uh, field of psychology and cognitive science, um, which is absurd. That's Those are not the most practical things you can do with a college degree by any stretch of the imagination. You're very good at understanding why comics is hard to do, though. <laughs> sure. Like, man, I really am upset about this comic, and I can talk to you in detail about exactly why this comic is fucking with oh, me right now. Oh my god, I'm going to write my alumni magazine and be like, listen, guys, <laughs> I know that I don't get a lot of use out of this, but occasionally it helps me understand why my brain is so broken in the ways that it is. Um, But so I I took a job right out of college doing work in a psych lab because I thought I wanted to go into academia and be a psychology researcher and a clinical psychologist. Um, And it took a couple of years of working in that lab to realize that I I did not want to do that. Um, And I don't think I really had that very slow hindsight realization until I sat down and looked at, gosh, what have I been doing with my free time? Have I been working on papers and uh, extracurricular grant activities like a good psych PhD student to be? And the answer was no, I've been making comics and like going to community art center classes at night to learn to actually draw and paint, which I did miss in my cog psych degree. (laughs) Um, so I, I kind of had a moment where I uh, sat down and was like, okay, I should pay more attention to what I've actually been doing with my life as opposed to what I on paper would like to do as a career and job. So I, at that point, I was a project manager in the psych lab, but the grant I was working on was starting to wind down. Um, so I took those extra hours in my day and filled them with classes at Community College Philly to, again, actually learn some of the draftsmanship and technical skills that I had completely missed out on in undergrad um, and kept making mini comics and going to conventions and meeting more people who actually did this work um, and kind of having that coalesce from a nebulous ghost spider springing thing into a, this is an actual job that actual people in my life have um, and that I could maybe have too. 
Um, so I, I started out not with like a, a full plunge into freelance, but kind of a slow easing down into the pools. As my day job hours slid down, I started picking up more and more freelance work. Um, and right now I am doing full-time comics. I'm working on a graphic novel full-time. Um, I don't know if I will want to do that forever. I think uh, it's easy to think that that is kind of the end goal of making comics or that obviously everyone who makes graphic novels does it full-time, but um, that's absolutely not the case. And I'm really glad to have heard a lot of different stories about how people make comics early on, um, is that there are a lot of different paths, not just to get to the point where you're making comics, but also... Um, lots of different ways to have that as a part of your life without it necessarily being the only thing you do with your day. And they're all legit choices. You should do whatever it takes to survive in this capitalist hellscape. Please. (laughs) Okay, well, from there, we're going to go into the topic of this episode, which is the process of making books. And you've done mini comics, you've done issue comics, you are doing graphic novels now. Let's talk about all of that. Let's talk about when someone is like, you know, Carrie Peach, you are hired. Or when you are like, this mini comic is a thing that I'm going to make. What's the first thing that you do? Um, If someone wants to hire me, I get really excited. And I will do my best to go out and celebrate in some small way uh, before I come. It's important. Yeah, it really is. I feel like that's a, it is easy to miss that step. But uh, if you don't, take a moment to kind of market and be excited about it. Um, I think it is easy to just completely pass over it in the process of being practical. So while I am someone who benefits from structure and lists, it's good to have some tightly scheduled fun. Um, (laughs) That was a joke. You should please have more fun. (laughs) Please have more fun than that. Um, But Uh, I do usually sit down first thing and try to figure out what would my schedule for this look like? Is it even practical that I can take this on given whatever my additional commitments, life or work or otherwise are right now? Um, Is this something I could fit into my life and work and schedule Um, entirely apart from concerns of will it pay me enough to allow me to do it? The other practical thing is how does it fit in time wise? Um, So to that end, I have a big old spreadsheet, which... um, I can make a future promise that by the time this episode goes up, I will link to it on my website so you can actually find it. Um, But it's like a public spreadsheet you can use where you plug in um, how many pages of comics you can complete per day that you are able to work on them. And it'll spit out some numbers about like, okay, here's how long you should budget into your schedule to actually get this artwork done. Script is a whole other story. Do you need the weekends off? Right. Right. Do you have a second job that you need to parry out time for like do you have children that you need to care for do you have fun things that you like to do on Wednesdays cool build those in sorry one more time (laughs) I don't fun (laughs) that was gremlin Allie Wilgus fun Carrie Um, but yeah, so I, I think the the first thing I do is sit down at a very high level and try to think about not just the exciting moment of like, oh my God, I get to make comics. This is amazing, which is also true. Um, but also, how could I actually get this to functionally work? So once you've done that planning, once you're like, okay, I'm going to write and draw this 250 page long book in 180 days. Oh <laughs> To, 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 for people who are listening to this, oh, that is God. not a reasonable thing. Do not sign that contract. My spine has left my body. It's gone. Sorry, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so you're going to do the 
80 page book in a year or perhaps a year and a half. Sure. Um, Okay. Now we're talking. (laughs) Um, How does that translate into that, the day to day work? You know, you're, you're kind of starting from the beginning and Mm -hmm. you're like, you know, I have this exciting spreadsheet. (laughs) It is is extremely generous of you to describe anything about a spreadsheet as exciting, but thank you. I I think think so too. Spreadsheets are so good. They you make really them are. and then they tell you information. Mm-hmm. I find that very helpful. Me too. So then the next morning you wake up and you're like, okay, having made this. <laughs> look back at my email like, oh my God, what did I just agree to? 250 pages in 180 days? Oh no. So then what What do you do? What's your day to day? I'm going to sidetrack myself to say um, an extremely loose. I don't know. Is this true for you guys? I feel like a loose rule of thumb that I have heard and that I found to be helpful just in terms of like, if you have no idea how long comics take, if you're thinking just about the artwork, think about one completed page per working day is like an, a, a horrible bare minimum. Like you could get it done on that schedule, but it won't allow for things like sick days or time. Um, but it's kind of useful as a ballpark metric if you really have no sense of comic scale. Is that, what have you guys heard? Usually what I end up doing is that I find that it varies so much from project to project. Yeah, that's that what I, And this is terrible, um, but what I end up doing is that when I am working on a book, I just literally in my Google calendar, I have a calendar that is nothing but me putting in a number. Mm-hmm. And that's the number of pages that I pencil or inked or whatever it is that I'm doing at that stage in that day. So yep. then I can actually look with my human eyes at <laughs> you know however many months of this calendar and i actually do this for things like mini comics too because it, it means that i can figure the stuff out not just when i'm on contract and then i really look at it and i'm like okay i know in theory i could pencil four pages a day but how many pages did i actually end up penciling that's end up usually how i end up getting kind of those ballpark numbers because it's it's very, very easy to only think of your best day mm-hmm. and very hard to really look in the face like, okay, but I have other things to do. I had to do the dishes and, right. you know, maybe be days I got really depressed breaks, and I yeah. just watched Linotype documentaries all day. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so I'm, that's kind of where I yeah. am. I mean, another way to look at this, which is a kind of different way, is that if you are doing a graphic novel that's not for five-year-olds, it's probably around 200 pages long, it might be around three or 400 pages long. And if you are the a person who is working with a major book publisher and getting an advance, probably that advance is not going to last you longer than a year of rent, food, all of that sort of thing. So when you're looking at your, you know, 200, 260 pages, um, if that's what you're thinking, if you're saying like, I want to have a graphic novel come out every year and I'm getting an advance on the level where it can support me for maybe a year of time, then what you do is reverse engineer it the other way around and say, okay, so, you know, 260 pages, uh, one page a day, and I will have at least one day a week off. So that will be great. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I guess those are both um, good ways to look at it, both the take an average of, um, I kind of skipped over this when I said I have a spreadsheet, but in order to figure out your page rate, you really do need to take um, kind of the average over the course of a month, not just a week, I think is useful. It varies so yeah. much also from book yeah. to book. That right, like- right. Like a middle grade book where you're just talking about two characters taking a walk in the forest is different from like, I have an ensemble cast of 17 children. Let me tell you all about them. 
And they're in outer space yeah. with a magical Oh, no, kitten. outer space. Listen. Outer space <laughs> is amazing. Everything's great. fake. <laughs> like, right. It's some rocks. Right. No one can tell you that you have drawn the surface of uh, fake planet number 17 wrong. So when you're kind of working on this, like you have thumbnails and you have pencils, you have inks, like this whole progression, like, are you working on those all in one go? Like, I'm going to do all my thumbnails. I'm going to do all my pencils. I'm going to do all my inks. Like, is that generally how you do it like kind of how do you end up breaking this work down and this because mm-hmm. a book is really big and it can be really overwhelming to kind of think about so what kind of chunks are you breaking it down into so i, I have a friend um shane michael who is also a brilliant cartoonist who describes the alternative to what you just uh just described where you do all of your thumbs and then all of your pencils and then all of your inks and then your colors and then your letters um he's described uh this alternative as inchworming your way through a book which i really like because you kind of you say i'm going to finish these 10 pages and that's my first chunk and then i'm going to totally finish the next 10 pages and that's my next chunk and you kind of make your way through the book inch by inch like that um so i definitely know plenty of people who work that way but i do work the way um you ali described um where i do all of the thumbnails first and then every stage of the book thereafter, um, which we can talk about in a little bit because I think everybody breaks down those stages differently too. Um, So I I call my stages thumbnails, then pencils, then inks, but I know some people go straight from rough to inks or have a separate stage entirely where they're handing in like the actual inch tall drawings that in my case, nobody ever sees in as thumbnails. Um, But I think what stages you break a book down to will vary based on who is seeing each step and more than that, who is each step for. Um, so in my case, um, the book I just worked on the adventure zone here, there'd be Gerblins coming from first, second books in July. Oh, it's probably, listen, it's probably out now. I don't know when this podcast interview <laughs> yeah, is coming out. I remember it might be out. <laughs> well, hey, Oh no. I lost the start of my train of thought. You were talking about I how... I was doing too good a job plugging. No, 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 no. You were, I think you were getting how somewhere about how thumbnails because right. you have to like show it to mm-hmm. people. Yep, that is it exactly. I expect where you were going to uh-huh. that. Uh, yes, that is exactly what I was going to say. Um, so because this is a book where we have a big creative team um, who is such a treat to work with and all of them have to look at each stage and we all need to be able to um, have useful conversations about what things are working and what things aren't. That also means that each stage needs to be legible and decipher to people who don't live inside my head and don't know necessarily that like this particular scribble means a gerblin where this particular scribble is like a dead horse. This one has ears that means that it's taco. (laughs) You're giving away all my secrets. (laughs) You can't can't give the stick figures to people who aren't used to looking at really, really rough thumbnails. Absolutely. Um, Which is, you know, I would love to say that's a real skill that you can uh, acquire, but maybe it's just a necessity-born kind of shorthand that we've all collectively tricked ourselves into believing works. Reading thumbnails is exhausting. Yes. Yeah. Making them, making them also hard, but even reading my own thumbnails or reading my own initial roughs a month later, it is hard to piece together what I meant. So my thumbnails are pretty clean, but not everybody's are. Yeah. I've worked with several authors where um, I look at their thumbnails and they're like, Why don't I get on the phone or sit down with you and I will walk you through what is happening so you can understand what's going on here. In this one inch tall drawing, there's seven panels. (laughs) (laughs) The box is the mom and the circle is the aunt. (laughs) But don't confuse this squiggle is a fire and I'm very concerned about how it got there. So I, um, I kind of move through the book in stages such that each stage is a little more finished than the last. Um, so it's really cool to get to see it come together that way. Um, and if I'm doing my job right, each stage can actually build on not just like, oh, this is a clean version of that, but like, what have I learned in the 
next 200 pages that I drew after this one? And what can I use to, how can I use those to make this panel or this page um, a better version of the initial rough draft? And during all of this, how frequently are you sending stuff out? Because you have co-writers and you have like editorial. So for different projects that you've worked on, has that varied a lot? Like how much you have to be sending stuff into other people? Like kind of generally, how is that broken down to you? It has absolutely varied. Um, I think all of my published work so far has been collaborative. Um, and I've enjoyed all of those collaborations. And they all also have been very different based on uh, things like what the writer's schedules are like, um, what the publisher's priorities are, um, how much time everyone has to devote to a project. So there have been things where uh, working on some monthly books, I would kind of send inks off into the ether and never hear back on them again, or I would get no notes or very little notes. Um, And there are other collaborations where um, the editors really are engaged and are able to give useful feedback, which is such a treat and such a treasure. I think the most useful thing you can do for your book when you know that it's going to be a collaborative project is to have a conversation up front about what everyone's expectations are, kind of an honest assessment of what their time commitment is going to be like, like how much time they're actually going to be able to devote to their pieces of the process. And how often they need to be bugged by you. If they're people who have like a lot of other projects, maybe they need more frequent check-ins. If this is the only book they're working on, maybe they're going to be able to take the lead on uh, moving things forward. So I guess my answer is it depends. (laughs) It it really, really does depend, which is not the most useful thing. So how much are all those humans, your collaborators and your editor involved with like setting your schedule and, you know, figuring out with you like when are you going to be turning things in when are things coming back to you when are the steps of this process happening yeah like are you being given those deadlines or are you telling them this is when i can deliver this based on Mm -hmm. or is it both it's absolutely both Uh, i think the the initial stages of that process like the biggest picture things really are in line with what gina was describing before where you kind of know the end date and you have to work backwards from that Or if in your working, you discover that it is impossible, then you say, hey, no, and we need to arrive at a different way to do that. Um, And sometimes that means you end up working with like a flatter for your colors. You end up working with a letterer. I've been working with Tess Stone, whose letters are brilliant. He is so good. And he has been not only uh, a blessing to the world and saving the world from looking at my horrible handwriting, but also his letters add so much to the book. And it saves me time to have someone who is brilliant at his job who I can say, hey, I'm going to hand these inks off to you as I finish them. And we don't have to wait three months for me to finish this stage and pass them off. And also, is that something that your publisher was organizing for you? Or was that kind of freelancing that you like, are, are you hiring those freelancers? Was your editor hiring those freelancers? How does that work? On this book on Gerblins, uh, I was the person who kind of managed the team of I hired flatters, um, Nikki Smith and Megan Brennan, who are brilliant and wonderful and a letter Tess Stone. Um, but when I was working on Lumberjanes, when I was working on, oh, that's not true. I did Marceline Gone Adrift entirely myself. Um, I don't recommend it. That was really hard and I will never do it again. Um, but when I was working on Lumberjanes, the publisher hired um, a letterer and a colorist completely separate from me. Um, so I think that really depends on kind of what resources your publisher has available and what resources you have available. I know other people who have worked with um, the same publisher that Gerblins is at who have had the publisher do the letterer hiring for them. So I think it varies project to project and not just so pub to pub. Check in with your editor. Basically. You should ask. You should ask first thing. Um, I guess that's just a general rule of conduct is you should ask as early as you know that you are going to need help or that something has, heaven forbid, gone wrong. 
Or um, like what parts of the book that you're supposed to do? Like, yeah. are you supposed oh to God. turn in black and white art that they're going to color? Or are you <laughs> supposed to color it? Are right. you supposed to be drawing word balloons? Mm-hmm. Or do they have an in-house team of word right. balloon drawers or letterers? Flat on the page? Do you need to keep them separate? These are all really important conversations to have before you start drawing the book. And so speaking of checking in with people, and again, I'm, I'm sure this varies from project to project, but like, I'm sure with some things you've worked on, or there's people you've known already, in some cases, you're working with people that you might not necessarily know personally beforehand, like, how much are you talking or dealing with collaborators in your projects? Are you like, you know, sending them an email being like, hey, I'm this person who's drawing your book, is your editor doing that for you? Like, kind of, how do you end up navigating that? Because I know sometimes, especially when cartoonists are starting out, a lot of the time they're getting hired to work on a book with somebody who maybe they didn't know before. So like, do you have... Uh, what's your experience with kind of navigating that? Uh, my first gigs were absolutely cases where um, I knew extremely little about the project, where I was hired initially and didn't know who the writer was going to be or um, kind of anything about the team outside of the editors who were hiring me. Um, so I was lucky in that I knew people who knew writers and was able to reach out to them and kind of build a rapport and get to collaborate with them a little more directly that way, which was a treasure. Um, but I think in in those cases, the... Uh, the upper management at those companies has goals that are more about movie licensing than making good (laughs) comics. And maybe that dictated the priorities of the company a little bit. So I loved the editors that I got to work with at those places, two pieces, but um, it was not a case that they kind of encouraged collaboration on their end. They weren't fostering a creative soup for you? Not so much. They didn't, uh, they didn't really serve you a stew. They were kind of like, here's a ladle. Uh, Good luck. (laughs) Get going. So if somebody gets a book and they're like, oh, I'm working with a person, like, should they like send an email to somebody or like tweet at them? Or is it better to just do everything through their editor? Yeah, I think it is definitely good to check in with your editor first. And maybe uh, there might be cases where you're on a book where like the writer hasn't been settled yet. So even if you've heard that someone is going to be the writer, it's good to check and see what the company is saying first. Um, (laughs) You mean you don't want to cram your entire foot all the way into your mouth and down your throat? (laughs) I mean, I certainly have, but it's not tasty. (laughs) So is that process different, uh, both the scheduling process and the communication process, different on graphic novels versus issue comics, where I'm assuming there's a more monthly schedule, where the deadlines are maybe not flexible Mm -hmm. as much? I'm an unusual case, I think, because all of my projects have had really inflexible deadlines. Um, So while the deadlines haven't been monthly, there also hasn't been like the ability to say, we'll just uh, throw this down the road six months um, in the way that you might if you're on a book that has like a two year schedule or something like that. Um, But you're absolutely right that monthly comics in my limited experience have had much more rigorous like every two weeks you're going to check in and show me where your pencils are or show me where your inks are or hey, you're going to deliver your finished pages now. Whereas if you're working with an editor over the course of the year and with a creative team over the course of a year, you as a team hopefully have a little more flexibility in like uh, determining those schedules based on what everyone's own individual needs look like. So maybe you won't be checking in with your editor every two weeks, but maybe once a month you'll send an email around with like, here are some pages I'm excited about or like, here's a list of questions about world building I've come up with in the course of um, developing this chunk of pages. So backing up a little bit, In theory, Uh you like making comics. In practice, I also like making comics. I just also like griping about comics. No, no, no. But so like, 
we've been talking about how there's a lot of different parts of this process. Like, which parts of that process are the ones that you personally find the most like exciting and interesting? And also, which are the parts where you kind of want to throw yourself out a window? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I definitely want to throw my computer out a window sometimes. But like, I try to keep myself mostly intact. Yeah, we like you. Please don't. Oh, thanks, guys. Me too. <laughs> Selfishly. I need I need these. I need these, my hands, which I'm holding up on the radio where you can't see them, to draw and just to live. Um, that answer really varies based on how much Stockholm Syndrome I have from what part of a comic I'm working on at any given time. But I will say, as I've made more comics, because I am still very new in my career, um, each step has gotten a little bit easier and a little more satisfying, partly just from a case of becoming a better draftsman and learning the process a little bit more thoroughly. Occasionally, when I get to go talk to college students, I talk a big game about, like, you all have to find a way to make your homework interesting to you, even if it doesn't seem like it. So I've been trying very hard to put that into practice for myself a little bit uh, and trying to find ways to make things interesting to me, even if like on the surface level, like maybe at the initial pass, I don't care about what like a cave looks like. What's a way that I can make that fun? Like, can I come up with a weird creature that I can design that lives here? Can I spend a little while making studies of like cool rock formations and find a way to incorporate those? Is there like a challenge I can set Did myself? make at least one cave literally into a dragon. <laughs> That I can think Listen, of. <laughs> this, is not, this is not Roast Carry Peach, the podcast, but you are right. I did do that. I mean, dragon caves sound no, awesome. Dra- <laughs> it was a really good dragon cave. But so like, what, what's your favorite part then? Like what part of the process like is what kind of gets you through the day? Mm, you know, a year ago, I think I would have given you a different answer. But right now, um, I really like thumbnails. I think those are the hardest part for me also, which is uh, kind of a, a double-edged sort of an answer. Um, but they're really challenging for me because of how much thought goes into them. Um, So in my case, when I'm talking about thumbnails, again, that's kind of like the first time I draw the comic. So it's hugely messy, but it's also the stage where I'm doing all of the really hard work of like spatial layouts and staging and costume design. If I did a bad job of doing that ahead of time and like thinking about acting and gesture. Um, So it's a really interesting challenge and it does take a lot of time. And I do kind of feel like a bag of limp noodles at the end of it, or really like at the end of any given work day. Um, But to see it all come together on the page is so satisfying and cool. I want to take a moment in the podcast to be like, thumbnails are hard and take a long time. I feel like I keep, and I'm I'm totally guilty of this, being like, it's freaking like scribbles. It's like they're (laughs) an inch tall. Why did it take me an hour to draw this inch? And it's because it's very difficult. You're doing a huge amount of processing to cook this page of text into that inch (laughs) scribble. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot of internal time that results in an external output that is again, to an outsider, looks like a cat hairball, like nothing, like my kid could do that. But comics is a job where you wear a lot of hats and thumbnails is a stage where you have to kind of balance them all on your head simultaneously and also come up with an end product that you can show to whoever you are answerable to in this project and convince them that you get to go to the next step. It's a lot. They're blueprints. Yeah, yeah, they are blueprints. So presumably not all the stages of the comic can be made into draconic cave formations. 
<laughs> like when you get to parts where you're just kind of like, I just have to power through these inks. Like I made this into a cave and now I have to draw the uh, cave. Yes. Or like, you know, these thumbnails include lots of fields of bamboo and I have to draw the fields <laughs> of bamboo and conceptualize what bamboo looks like, which is like perhaps not the most fun part of this exciting historical Japanese epic that I am creating. Now like, like what do you do to get yourself motivated through those parts like especially if you are like working from home kind of alone and talking to your editor maybe every two weeks yeah see the stockholm syndrome coming you made earlier <laughs> for real though um yeah comics is a weirdly isolating job or i guess not weirdly that's kind of on the the surface description of what you sign up for is i want to sit at my desk and make a book and maybe in three years someone will read this thing that I sat alone at my desk making for two years so I think finding ways to connect to your community are really important essential for those moments when you feel like uh, you are going to throw your computer or yourself out a window if you have to look at a single other stick of bamboo are they sticks is that like the uh, singular term I think stock is technically what we're supposed to call it but it's not very fun to draw either way (laughs) So either I can way, save from experience. Um, yeah, so those are definitely times when I feel like I'm running into a wall. I will take a break, uh, go for a walk. If that is not practical, I will do a smaller thing, like take my stretch break, even if it is not scheduled, or talk to a friend or a comics friend, uh, a friend or a comics friend. Let me retract <laughs> that. Can we edit that out? <laughs> my <laughs> comics friends are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another cartoonist is what I was going to say, but that also makes it sound like cartoonists aren't friends. It's actually a nonstop cage match. <laughs> um, what do you do to keep yourself motivated? And not crazy. Oh, okay. Because the first part is easy. It's look at a horrible list of deadlines and remind yourself of all the threats that are coming down the line if you don't meet them. But that's not very practical in the long run because it leads to like resentment, which is not a good feeling when you're doing a job that probably you got into because it was your dream. Um, and we can have a whole other separate conversation about the dangers of like find joy in your work and like you'll never work a day in your life if you do your dream job, which is equally bullshit. Oh, great. Okay, that's bullshit. That's garbage. It's really hard work, and I love it, but it's also incredibly hard. Yeah, like the process of making a book is literally like what we're calling this episode, and Uh part of it is... I remember one time I got scolded by a friend of mine for complaining about my job on Twitter. And I was like, Buddha card! There's the especially exciting dimension of lots of parents and relatives who don't understand, who, you know, maybe do a job that's much more labor intensive, that is not their dream. And they're like, you're getting to do your dream. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. It must be so calm and relaxing <laughs> and exciting constantly. It's like you're in one of the parts of Fantasia with all of the like nymphs, oh, nymphs the hot and things ladies. like that. Hell yeah. I want to be in that part of Fantasia. <laughs> Every time you turn around, there's an exciting new creation coming into being. Isn't that exactly how your job works? Oh boy, I can feel my blood pressure like slowly rise. Over the course of that entirely true thing. Um, Because, right, that is the hard part is you're kind of straddling the line of it is a huge privilege and it is really exciting and you are getting to make a wonderful thing. And also it's work and it's work is still work is work is work. It is a thing you are doing in exchange for money to survive. Um, And also it's a dream because you're getting to tell a story and get to be a part of a magical process. 
So I think reminding yourself of the reasons you got into not just comics in the first place, but this project in the first place, are that's a, like a practical, that's a, a nebulous sounding thing that you can break down into more practical steps, like literally take screenshots of like, did you have a nice conversation with someone about a part of this book that you're stoked about? Save that for yourself, put it in a little folder on your desktop. And when you're feeling bad, please look at your brag folder. <laughs> do this for me. I will be so proud of you if you do. I mean, that's a good point. Like, do you have any other kind of like sanity advice for people who are working on these long term projects where it can get either maybe you had a shitty phone call with your mom mm-hmm. uh, or just like, you know, you inked 40 pages and no one looked at them because right. your inks aren't due yet. Yeah, so yeah. they're. Do you have any like, specific advice you can give for people who are kind of in that middle of the book, I'm going to die kind mm-hmm. of place? Oh, my God. You're going to finish. It's going to be okay. The book is going to be over and you'll get to be excited about another thing soon. Um, I think setting up um, a side channel or finding a, an online outlet where you can be a little more honest about your feelings is good. It is healthy. You don't need to be your public self all the time. And I think it is really easy to get caught up in. um, I've heard this described as like everybody's highlight reel. And if that is the only kind of part of a community that you're taking in is people's online presences, it's really easy to get caught up in a cycle of like, everyone else is excited about this. Why aren't I? So making time, not just for like your side discord or like your forum or your Twitter, but actually to see people in your community and your friends in person and talk through these issues with other human beings so you can see is really, really good. And also take care of your friends outside comics because all of that aside, it's also really good to get perspective on like, what are people doing who aren't inking 40 pages a day? How can I bring some of that into my life so that this isn't the only thing I'm ever doing? Um, Because making time for fun is also really, really good. And I think that's another aspect of doing your dream job that it's easy to overlook is when you are genuinely excited about and invested in the work that you're doing it can be very difficult to justify drawing hard boundaries around it but you absolutely need to because it is not going to get any easier to ink that like 40th page of bamboo if you're trying to do it at two in the morning after like blowing off your friends for like the seventh night in a row you're gonna get outside the echo chamber of, yeah but i have to finish my book yeah oh my goodness for sure friends outside comics are also good for having something to talk about besides <laughs> comics <laughs> which can kind of get into a little like I feel like I'm doing my job every single hour that I'm awake if Uh you only have friends who talk to you about comics yeah yeah that is also true this is literally why I was making Carrie watch a linotype documentary before (laughs) you got here it's It's like I know comics but look there's this machine that takes molten metal yeah and sometimes it shoots out and burns your leg it's very exciting (laughs) Oh, but that's also um, that's a, a practical thing that I learned over the course of drawing my first full length book was you have to have a hobby that you don't try to monetize, which yes. is like a weird freelancer trap, right? I say to my two good friends who are making this brilliant podcast together in their theoretical free time. <laughs> We're not making any money. <laughs> right. So you're good. You're still good. You're doing a public service and you're not making money. But it's very easy to like if you're coming into art or coming into comics, then it is likely although obviously not guaranteed to be the case that it started out as a thing you did for fun on the side that you were passionate about and it was your cool hobby while you work duh, on something else being a cognitive psychologist sure. for example yeah um but now you're suddenly at a place where it is your work which might leave you perhaps in the unfortunate place of realizing that you no longer have a hobby and that is not sustainable as a human being and that's the other the more general less actionable life advice that i have 
tried very hard to internalize is that you have to be a person first and a cartoonist second because you can't do the second if you're not being the first. So, so find a hobby. I'm super curious about all your hobbies. I mean, I've, I've got a couple. <laughs> I'm still working on building them. Um, oh, I'm terrible. All of my hobbies are just more writing and drawing, just not getting paid. Well, right, but that counts <laughs> because you're not getting paid for them. I run a book club. And I have a hobby podcast, The Morph Club, which you're nearing the end of, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to find another hobby. So I am taking suggestions if anyone has them. Oh, yeah. I, there must be other like long running kids. It's it's series. hard. It's hard to find a long running series with like an ongoing narrative, which was kind of the driving force that's kept us going for like 50 books so far. The um, Boxcar Children. Boxcar Children. Oh, no, we could. Okay, sorry. I can't plan my podcast, so I'm on your podcast. You That's could be bad one of ten people to be doing a Deep Space Nine podcast, and then I could also be on it, and I could also yell about Deep Space Nine. That sounds like my favorite thing. Your to do. next Deep solo Space Nine project. and Gargoyles. There we go. Okay, Deep Space Gargoyles is your new crossover fanfic, which you are doing as an audiobook format, and I am really excited to hear all about it. I just had this mental vision of the space station that has now been like converted to medieval times uh-huh. and decorated with extensive gargoyles. <laughs> Like actual gargoyles, not ones that come to life and like fly off to Bajor, though. I mean, that might be a thing. That's less fun, though. Yeah, maybe they're a practical defense system for uh, space monsters. I want to be clear. I definitely drew Odo as a gargoyle at one point. (laughs) Like, absolutely. Good. Gargoyle Odo somewhere. Good. You have to live your dream. Possibly also gargoyle Goldicott. Anyway. um, Wait, we have actual further questions to ask you here. So when you're making a book, you are making a book and you're doing your hobbies on the side, which are great. But are you thinking about yourself professionally interacting with the community, getting out there, doing things other than like hanging out with friends so as not to drive yourself insane with Stockholm Syndrome? (laughs) Or do you make a book and kind of lock yourself away from the world and not interact with the comics community or the book community Mm -hmm. or the, you know, creative arts community? Um, I think everybody's balance is going to be a little bit different on that one. Um, In my case, I am still trying to figure out exactly what is going to work for me in the long term in terms of how many conventions can I do? um, How much other work can I do and post publicly? Um, On the professional side of things, I still do things like short studies. I still am working on developing pitches and things I might want to do several years down the line. Um, So I think a little bit about the long run, um, which is also a nice way to break up your uh, 40-page bamboo inking marathon. And I'm so sorry that we've just settled on this deliberate slight to your suffering. It's ironic. As our metaphor. I'm drawing book two, which has almost no bamboo in it. Nice. It's it's a past Allison trauma. Okay. Okay. She's... She's in a better place now. She's healed. That book is literally delivered to the publisher. I expect you to turn up next week and be like, a field of bamboo appeared. <laughs> I done I, fucked up. <laughs> I blame you. It was it was this podcast that induced it. It's okay, because they're making out in the field of bamboo. Oh, okay. oh that, that's also, that's a great way to keep your investment level up, is find a thing, joking but not joking, figure out a thing that you really want to draw and find a way to work that into the pages that you are struggling with. Dragon caves. Dragon caves. People making out in a field of bamboo.
Uh, so conventions, book festivals, panels, mm-hmm. school visits, going to talk at colleges or high schools, being on Twitter, having a Tumblr, or is that stuff that you are thinking about and doing simultaneously with your creative process? Yeah, like how do you find the balance between doing that stuff and you still have to finish your book? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, that is kind of the push and pull because I, I find at least all of the in-person stuff absolutely essential to actually not just feeling like but being a part of the community i personally have a real difficulty remembering that i am a part of this larger group of people and figuring out how i can help them and like how we can all work together to make the community a better place if i'm only doing it on the internet Um, so for me doing things like talking with undergrad students going to conventions and chatting with fellow creators in person um, is really important not just for my mental health but for thinking about like what do i want a career in comics to look like what do my peers careers in comics look like Um, What are publishers doing? What are other people doing? Um, And kind of getting a a sense and feel of that in a very real way and not just seeing, again, the weird highlight reels that we put out on the internet. Um, So I really have found it really useful to keep on doing that, even though I am also on a breakneck book deadline. But also, you have to be able to build that into your schedule. So up front, when you're thinking about like, oh, what's my page rate going to be like on my best week? Again, think about, okay, uh, maybe I'm going to go do FlameCon, but I know that I'll just be laid out on my back for a week afterwards because I will have had too much fun um, and build that in. In terms of social media, I think I had to take a look back and be like, oh, my tweets have been pretty quiet lately and realize that a lot of what I'm working on is kind of under NDA, which is... Uh, I think the case for a lot of people working on projects that haven't been announced yet or uh, on books under literal NDA as opposed to my more colloquial like, oh, I just can't talk about this yet. So I I do feel like I've taken a step back from Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram um, less deliberately and more just because like I don't have as much stuff that I'm excited to talk about there. So I will go read other people's work and retweet it and be excited about it for them. But I've been a little quieter for sure, which is probably good for me, honestly. And do you think that's another thing to be talking with your potential editor or your publicist, whoever you're working with? Like, hey, like I'm working on this thing. Like, what kind of stuff can I post to Twitter? Like, is this project okay for me to talk about? What can I talk about? Like, is that something that people should be doing or should they just wait until somebody tells them? Yeah, asked and answered. I think that's another really good conversation to have up front and to check in about over the course of the project because that answer might change as you get like closer to publication. Um, And it also absolutely varies project to project. I know people who make books and are able to post it as a webcomic, like over the course of their developing it up until the date that it comes out, at which point it comes down. Um, And I know people who are like, cannot post literally anything about the book until surprise, it arrives out into the world a fully fledged Athena of a being. I think most of the time it ends up kind of where I'm at, where it's like, if I posted whole pages with text on them all the time, my editor probably like, could you not do that? (laughs) <laughs> maybe or like ask us first right. but like posting a panel every once in a yeah. while like she she's just like great people remember that your book exists yep. and i feel like most books end up kind of in the middle there but we definitely talked about that early on yeah and i, I think you're right it's also been my experience that most projects do end up somewhere in the middle where you're uh definitely going to be able to post some snippets of it the goal is just not to have like the bulk of the book out there online before it is released unless it is done in a deliberate and structured way with your publisher's approval so you wake up in the morning what what happens how does how does the comics making process work (laughs) Gigi puts her entire butt into your Gigi is the cat who lives in my apartment (laughs) Oh, yes, sorry. For those not in the know. Um, 
I, I am someone who does best, as you may have guessed at this point, with a pretty regimented schedule and a lot of predictability in my day-to-day life. So my structure of my day looks pretty similar. Um, the work that I'm actually doing on any given day does vary based on which stage of the project I'm at, which is something I really like about comics because um, my brain definitely does best with like the dual dimensions of, is this novel? Can I see myself getting better at it over time? And comics kind of sits right at the intersection of those two because you're doing thumbs and then you shift to pencils, then inks and so on and so forth. But um, my work days, if it is a day on which I am doing work, um, I will wake up, have breakfast, do my warm-up drawings, do admin stuff for half an hour if there's miscellaneous things that I need to clear off my table. Um, And then I will do whatever drawing or coloring work is on my plate for a a chunk of like three hours up until lunch, taking half hour, an hour breaks to stretch. Um, This is not glamorous or exciting. This is literally just like at Carrie's office in my home. Our entire podcast is this shit though. And I love it. It's so This is what people want to know. I mean, like, so seriously, like I think it's very important for people to understand everybody has their own process, but getting a sense of what people's actual days look like. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to get into a headspace where you're like, clearly you just spring out of bed at six in the morning and right. then work nonstop for 14 hours. No. Oh my God. No. Uh, some of the best things I did for myself were scheduling like mandatory breakfast and lunch breaks where I am not allowed to work at all on top of other regular stretch breaks during the day. But I like, will leave my desk and go sit downstairs with a book and whatever food I have scrounged or made for myself. And like, take a breather and read something other than the comic I've been working on and loving, but also staring at for X hours a day for the past couple of months. Yeah. There's also the kind of myth of creative work where you don't work unless, you know, you are inspired. So, you know, you wake up and your, your work habits are determined by like how, how much inspiration do I have to put things on the page today? (laughs) Um, if the answer is not very much, perhaps I will have a picnic instead <laughs> or, or some other adventure. Mm-hmm. All of my adventures are like, why don't I go to the library? Oh, that um, sounds so nice. That sounds fine, but then you are a hobbyist. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, I do think some people can get inspired a whole lot and can kind of make a, a schedule work like that because mm-hmm. they are like people who work like maniacs and they get ideas and they're just like really driven when they're in that phase and then they kind of you know their brain turns off and they're like ah it is the like library going zone picnicking Uh zone uh but it sounds like that's not your process as much so after you have scrounged food and and read a book (laughs) um What happens next? Then I will take another admin break. So people who have worked with me and received emails will probably notice that most of my emails come first thing in the morning or right after lunch or when I'm procrastinating on a hard drawing that I do not want to do. Um, But I try to check back in, clear more stuff off. If there are any emails on my shame list, which is my to-do list that I put in bold because I really need to do them, then I will tackle those before I get back into drawing for the afternoon. Um... So I will just sit down and work again, taking stretch breaks and uh, breaks to look at the internet um, for the next couple hours, um, breather for dinner. Ideally, I will stop working at dinner, but that is not always, unfortunately, the case. Um, So I think one other thing that a practical thing that I've learned is to schedule in fun as much as I am scheduling in work. Um, So your mileage may vary, but I'm definitely someone who has harmful workaholic tendencies. So I need to be very careful that I'm like 
building fun into my week and that there are lots of nights on my calendar where I physically have to stop working at X o'clock because I have to go like I have to I get to go see a friend for dinner or like go to the library or have a picnic or yes. go record a podcast and yes. this is a good I mean it's, it's really interesting also again we're interviewing you but for like contrast I, I had a period where I tried really hard to have a very regimented schedule yeah. like I literally set alarms on my phone for okay time to do this time to do this and it ended up making me incredibly depressed and miserable oh. and it, well I mean it was fine but it, it, it's funny it ended up being that I was personally happier getting to occasionally like take a break or maybe spend a little bit too much time doing some non-work writing mm-hmm. or spend a little bit too much time taking care of a picky email problem or something and that sometimes I ended up working until 10 o'clock at night and that wasn't great but working until 10 o'clock at night while having had time to properly take care of something in the morning right. or take time for personal stuff when I felt like I needed to do it ended up making more sense for me and I feel like the big takeaway is like at the end of the week do you feel like you got hit by a truck <laughs> Like, do you feel like I got a lot of really good stuff done this week and I feel pretty good about the work that I did and I made progress on my personal projects and my spouse is still aware that I'm alive or like my roommates have seen me or do I feel like I got hit by a truck? And sometimes you're in a hit by a truck project and there's only so much you can do, but it's like over time, it's kind of like it varies a lot from person to person. I think it's very easy to be like... Well, my friend only uses a number two pencil. And right. So if I use a number four <laughs> pencil, I'm a failure. Right. Oh, my God. But no, everybody's work style is so different. And they're like circadian rhythms are very important, as cartoonist Olivia Walsh will tell you all about. And like everybody works best at different times of day, too. So not just like what's your work schedule like, but are you able to work well in the morning or are you somebody who naturally like does best when they wake up at 11 and like will stay up until two in the morning happily getting stuff done? And speaking of number two pencils, oh. Carrie, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but this is like the most every single panel you've ever been on question, but people do ask this. What's it like to be a woman in comics? Well, <laughs> what it's like to be in a woman in comics is awesome. <laughs> no, but what tools do you use? Like, what is your process? Like, kind of how do you physically make the comics that you're making? Bri- I mean, briefly, at least. Uh, my process just changed on this new book, and I am really excited about being able to work away from my desk thanks to a mobile tablet and setup that I finally got together and working Um, That makes it sound like I made it myself. I did not. It is literally an iPad Pro and pencil, which I bought with money and did not create out of fabrication tools. So when I am doing my very first drawings for the book, once the script is pretty much set, are I will print out the script. I will do my sketchiest thumbnails that ideally nobody will ever see, although occasionally they are so bad I have to show someone just because it's very funny. Um, Right on the page with the script, um, which is just so I can like... It's so lazy, but I literally don't want to look away from the script to look at a sketchbook page while I'm doing what for me is also incredibly hard work of like, how many panels can be on this page? What does the layout of them have to look like in order to like help these emotional beats and the timing of this scene be conveyed? Yeah, because sometimes you're changing, like the comic's yeah. been written, but sometimes when you're drawing the page, and this happens with comics I write for myself, like mm-hmm. I screw this up oh all my the God, time. Yeah. Like, oh wait, nope. Turns out nine, pa- nine panels on this <laughs> on this page is too many. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. No, I think that's all. We could have a whole separate conversation about like paneling happens kind of while you're doing it, no matter how much ahead of time thinking you're doing in a script. Um, but I also know people who don't script at all, who just go straight to the thumbnail stage. Um, but so once I have done my initial roughest draft straight on the script, um, I will 
do a slightly better draft of it on my iPad and pencil. Um, I also, I used to do this on a Wacom, like a plain old Intuos tablet, like an Intuos 3 that's been kicking around for eight years. And that was fine too. Um, It is just really nice to be in the sunshine or like be out of my house and be able to do this initial step on the go. Um, So thumbnails on this little mobile setup um pencils i am trying now for the first time doing pencils on this mobile setup too previously i did pencils on a big old wacom cintiq um, so like a drawing tablet that you can draw on the screen of also um, my inking is also digital and that i all do on a cintiq in clip studio paint with i think friend brushes um, with like very very low stabilization um, i like working on a cintiq because Partly, I never learned to ink traditionally. That is something that my community college classes did not cover. So I kind of faked my way through digital inking and it's fine. Um, But also because it saves a lot of time for me to not do the scanning step of the process or to do penciling and then light boxing and inking on a separate page and scanning back in. So it is partly out of preference and partly out of time-saving necessity. Then I send the pages after they are inked off to a flatter, um, like Megan Brennan or Nikki Smith, um, who are both brilliant cartoonists in their own right. Um, They will send back a page where the have you guys talked about flatting yet? I don't remember if I've heard anyone not. talk about this mess. Okay, so maybe I shouldn't go into it, but it's essentially like a preparatory step for coloring where like uh, sections of the page are segmented off to make it easier to select them all at once later on as you're coloring the page. It's making like an v- interactive coloring book for you, kind of. Yes, you can just select that's that a that really area. good shorthand. Yeah, that is it exactly. Um, so coloring, I'd switch back over to a Wacom tablet in a misguided attempt probably to spare my eyes from staring directly into the full sun force of the Cintiq. And lettering, I hire someone better than me at lettering, like Tess Stone, to do that step for me. So I admittedly have seen you do this a little bit, so I can mm-hmm. ask a pointed question here. Uh-oh. So when you're doing coloring, like you're not just sitting down and being like, time to color this page. Like you think ahead of time about things like palettes. Like, oh, yeah. Like how kind of what preparatory work do you do to save future Carrie some headaches? Oh, there? my God. I try to take good hair of her, but she does not feel the same way about me. It's a rough, rough give and take. Um, so coloring, I kind of I'm still trying to figure out what's the best midpoint of efficient and also effective ways to save myself time and think carefully about uh, what I want colors in a scene to look like. Uh, I am not a literal colorist. I'm someone who will go for what makes you feel the feeling in this scene over like, is grass truly this color? Do you really believe that it's purple? Sure. Okay. Um, It's fantasy. It's fine. Yeah, it's fantasy grass. It uh, comes in all shades. It's emotionally resonant. It says so right on the AstroTurf box. Um, there are a couple of different things I've tried. Um, one of them that I do like a lot when I have time for it is making extremely rough color scripts. So sometimes as early as a pencil stage, I will take my lines, shrink them down extremely small and make a very, very rough color pass, like thumbnails for colors, essentially of like, okay, what's the dominant color in the scene going to be? Okay, it's going to be red. How can I color the characters to make them feel like they fit into the lighting of this scene? Um, which pages or which panels need extra emotional emphasis? How can I make those colors stand out? Hmm. That's the only one I can think of. Have you seen me do other cool color tricks that I've since forgotten about? No, mostly that you literally think about it at all. Oh, yeah. Before you sit down to do it, which is the opposite of me. <laughs> well, I mean, coloring... why my book is in black and white. Oh, my God. Oh, that sounds nice. Um, coloring also is one of the few stages where... I have slowly come to accept that 
I used to watch television shows and listen to podcasts while I was penciling and inking. And I was finally like, this actually slows me down. And I'm actually worse at these things when part of my brain is on something else. And I do still do that sometimes because that's another great way to uh, bribe yourself into drawing your 40th page of bamboo stalks is like give part of your brain a good story to listen to or like something fun to watch while it is doing the less invested or the less uh, the things that require less of your brain juice to use the technical term. I know friends who can't have any sound at all and Mm -hmm. need to be basically in a completely sound insulated apartment to do anything. And I will just die if I don't have podcasts on all the time. Yep. I'll just collapse into ash Mm -hmm. and my book will never get done. (laughs) And we can't we can't be having that. Yeah. So I I also I know people who literally will have like a full TV show on they're watching and listening while doing it. So there's a whole spectrum of comics making behaviors. Um, But coloring is the stage where unless I'm lying to myself, I can still definitely like watch TV in the background or listen to a podcast while I'm doing it. So that is really a nice break at the end of a book. God, this is like the most hardcore cartoonist thing that you're like, this is the part of the process where I could still consume... Like endless D and D podcasts, yeah. or like oh whatever slate investigative journalism <laughs> or bullshit when I need to, which is extremely important. You can you can rewatch all of Friends while you're coloring this book. Oh. So, is there anything else about this process that you want to talk about that we kind of didn't cover in the past hour? It's really fun. I, I think it's it is easy to lose track of that when we spend uh, the full hour going over ways that I trick myself into doing the work <laughs> or ways to stay sane while you're doing the work. But um, at the end of the day, the reason I'm doing this instead of going back to the extremely lucrative job of research coordinator, <laughs> that was a lie, um, is that I really love it. I love getting to be a part of making stories and storytelling. Um, and I, I love the idea of getting to make something that someone else in the world will someday get to hold and read and hopefully they will enjoy it. It's special. It's a really, really cool thing to get to do. I think we all feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, extremely. Yeah. Carrie, thank you for coming and talking to us today. So Um, also tell us if people want to find you. I was just going to say, where can they find you on the internet if they wish to at you or to purchase your books or to do other things? Like where can they come look you up? You can find me online at carriedraws.com, which is my portfolio site. I will also link to that uh, public spreadsheet I talked about there if one of these brilliant co-hosts reminds me. We can also put it in our show notes. Oh, nice. Okay, that's great. That's easier. Uh, Find it in the show notes. Um, I'm on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as at carriedraws. And if you want to read the book that the McElroys and I are making, The Adventure Zone, Here There Be Gerblins, you can find it in bookstores or at theadventurezonecomic.com. Carrie, did you make yourself Carrie Draws so that people wouldn't be able to fuck up spelling your last name? I did. You're absolutely right. But it is P-I-E-T-S-C-H. It is much easier to say than spell. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thank it was you great guys. to talk to you. That was a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Graphic Novel to Come. Our next episode will be about what happens when you're finishing your book, when you've done all the stuff that Carrie spent this whole episode describing. What happens when your art and texts are final and you're getting ready to turn them into your publisher? We can't wait to talk about this with the fantastic Jenny Holm. See you then? Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. 
You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com. Thank you.